Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Wrong Marquis by Vivian Lauret. This was just recently published in June of 2021 and is the third in the Mating Habits of Scoundrels. And we haven't, you haven't missed anything. We haven't reviewed the first two for the podcast, but we have read them, so they'll probably be coming at a later date. And full disclosure, we did get a free copy of the book from Ned Kelly. So before we dive into the jacket, um, small disagreement here. I don't think this book works well as a standalone. I think it's totally fine. You can read this, number three. But, I mean, this is our standard argument. Yeah. Um, there's a scandal. So the, the, at the beginning of the book, of the series, it's a group of four friends, mm-hmm. one of whom has just been banished to the countryside for creating a scandal. And so you only get to know her in the first two books through letters. Yeah, you don't even really... So she's not, the, she doesn't appear on the page. Until this one. Right. Um, but so her whole situation is sort of... The mystery is revealed in this one. And there is a little bit of like callbacks with other characters and the setup with their book. So the main through line, the reason this is why this series is called The Mating Habits of Scoundrels, is this book of debu- this group of debutantes wants to write a book about the, how to tell if a man is sincere and wants to marry you or just trying to get you in bed. Exactly. Basically. They want to differentiate the two in the hopes that other debutantes can avoid scandal, unlike Prue. In all of Prue's letters, she's not sure if this mysterious Lord F is courting her or effing with her. Yeah. And so they want to help Prue answer that question. Yes. And their methods of research in the earlier books are hilarious. They're so ridiculous and so funny. I love them. Like, this really is absurdist. Yes. In a gr- There's an elephant stampede in this one. In this one, yes. <laughs> so, but I think those, that's kind of the premise. And I do think that's sort of missing from this book. If you read it as a standalone that said, the hero in this book does not appear in the prior ones. So it's not like this has been building up and you're missing the beginnings of this relationship. Exactly. So let's read the book jacket. Okay. The wrong place. Elodie Parrish can feel spinsterhood breathing down her neck. That's the trouble with waiting for the Marquis next door her entire life. But Ellie knows if she gives him one last season, he'll finally propose. The only problem is her path keeps crossing with the arrogant Lord Hullworth, who is convinced she has designs on him. The wrong time. Brandon, Marquis of Hullsworth, never wanted to be London's most elusive bachelor or have a horde of hopeful debutantes and their scheming mamas follow him around. His past has left him too jaded to consider marrying any of them. At least, that's what he thinks. Until he meets Ellie. She's quirky, opinionated, blushes easily, and drives him absolutely wild. The only problem is, she believes she's in love with someone else. Ellie never imagined that one sultry summer could change everything. But the more time she spends with Brandon researching her book on the mating habits of scoundrels, the more she starts to fall for... The wrong Marquis. (laughs) I don't know, what do you think of the book jacket? It, it, I think it's not a bad book jacket at all. I don't either. I, I think it gives you the conflict without giving too much away. I think, I think it works overall. I think it's, it also gives you an idea of how ridiculous the book is going to be. Yes. So, I lo- I, you know that we love when books embrace that romance novel over the topness. Yes, this is so. absurd and fun. The whole series has been, I think, 
Unfortunately, there are some weaknesses present in all three books, but overall, like, the setups are always fun as hell. Absolutely. So as usual, we generated a random number and wrote our own summaries, and this week, the random number was 23. So I'll kick it off. Brandon thinks Ellie is just another debutante, but she's promised to another. They both hate being turned on all the time when together. It is rough when you, you know... Are around that person. They hate each other because they're just so into each other. It's kind of wonderful. It is. Here's mine. Ellie is the only girl who's not after Brandon. So, of course, she's the one he's determined to have after a false start. Yeah. So, what's the opposite of a meet cute? I don't know. Like a, a meet, meet angry? A meet angry. Yeah. That's what they have. I mean, they have a meet cute, but it turns into like a meet... It, it turns into a, you know what it is? It's a, it's a Pride and Prejudice meet cute where she overhears him, but the opposite way. He doesn't overhear her though. I'm just saying that's what this is. Okay. If the, it, whatever it is in Pride and Prejudice, a meet angry, yeah. that's what it is here. Oh, trope-wise. Sure, sure, trope-wise. Sure. <laughs> whatever we want to call it. Yeah, so I was, I, the central trope here is enmity to lovers. I won't yes. call them enemies because there's no historic relationship. Yes. But they meet and immediately suspect, suspect the worst, mo- worst motives of the other. So basically, this is how they meet. I, I think it's great. Ellie is wandering around trying to eavesdrop on people to find out how you can tell a man is sincere. And she's specifically eavesdropping on proposals. Exactly. So she's heard three proposals in about 10 minutes. And then she just happens to bump into Brandon. Like, she actually bumps into him. Right. Rounding a corner too fast. Whatever. And he, of course, has been pursued by all the debutantes all morning. So he thinks that this is a fake, you know, she's been meaning to run into him. She didn't actually run into him. He suspects her of hiding behind the potted plant until he approaches. Yes. Uh, and so she's very polite to him. And he's just totally brushes her off. Real jerk. And then, of course, she notices that in the collision, she dropped a handkerchief. So she tries to give him a chance to be gentlemanly by informing him she's dropped it. And he takes that as another line. Like, she won't let this go. So she thinks he is a rude asshole. Which he kind of is. And he thinks she's desperate. Yes. (laughs) Which she also kind of is, but not for the same reason that he thinks. And not for him. Not for him. She was not trying to get his attention. Correct. But of course, they make up to each other. One of the things I like is that he very soon realizes that he was a total jerk and needs to atone for it. And even when he's... So he atones for being awful pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But then shortly after that, he realizes his suspicions on her character were unfounded. He starts being nice to her, even when he's still suspicious of her. Right. And then he realizes that he completely misread her and is like very nice from that point forward. But that is also when he starts being like, oh no... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the total trope. The one woman who doesn't want you is the one that you want. Right, and the falls in love with the first girl who stands up to him, mouths off to him, doesn't treat him like a divine yes. being sent to save her from whatever. Exactly, and I get the appeal. I also get the appeal of reading the book. Yep. Sometimes I get a little tired of it, but I still like it, though. We're not, we're not going to ask romance what writers to reinvent the wheel here. There's <laughs> no. only so many ways to get to happily ever after. Yeah. So Ellie has had a lifelong understanding with the boy next door. That was interesting. The prologue is 
a cute scene between the two of them as children. Yes. But it's also like full of existential anxiety. Yes. So basically Ellie, so Ellie's parents died when she was very young. Yes. Specifically her father, who she was very close to. Uh, I think her mother died in childbirth. Oh, shortly thereafter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's Regency time, so mm-hmm. the only women who live, the only women who live past childbirth are romance heroines. Yes, all the others kick the bucket. Yep. Um, so uh, Ellie is basically scared that she's going to die and be buried underground. So she's afraid of being buried alive, mm-hmm. specifically because her father, it seems like, was dying of tuberculosis, and so she was used to seeing him appear immobile Mm -hmm. for long periods before taking like a gasping, coughing, bloody pack. Um, And so she's convinced that they buried him alive for no real reason, but that becomes like her ongoing anxiety. Yeah. I actually think she's a very interesting character and I think pretty well written. Yeah. Because she's very, she's almost Pollyanna-esque in how she wants to believe the best of the world and believe the best in people. Um, she's always cheerful. She has a nice, fa- her, she's been raised by two aunts who she really loves. I don't know. She just seems like very cheerful and yeah. always likes to look on the bright side of things. But on the same time, she has this crippling anxiety and fear of death. Right. And so it extends to a lot of things. It's not just these nightmares about being buried alive. It's sort of thinking of the worst case scenario. She doesn't like heights. She doesn't like going fast. She doesn't like open water. She, she doesn't, doesn't like bridges. She, she doesn't, doesn't like arches. She doesn't want to go on a horse, like yeah. go on horseback. A lot of things that she's really scared of, even though at the same time, juxtaposed with that, she's very cheerful, yep. bright, fun to be around, fun person. And very loyal to her friends. And it, it, She is a very interesting character. Honestly, I think the hardest thing to believe about her was her relationship with George, the childhood friend. Oh, yeah. For me, the hardest thing, and actually the way it was described in this book reminded me a lot of Julie Garwood books. Okay. Uh, And the thing that was hardest for me to understand was she doesn't understand that she's attracted to Brandon. Like, she's like, oh, my cheeks are flushed, and I have a funny feeling in my tummy when I see him. Oh, goodness, I must be coming down with a cold. And I'm like, "Mm, that's not, like, you know the difference between (laughs) sexual tension and coming down with a cold. Yeah, I read that more as just denial because she'd been into George the whole time. So I think this is all wrapped up. Yeah. I think this idea that she had this commitment to him that was so strong, she wanted to like deny the passion between her and Brandon. All of that did not work for me. I didn't think she was so into George. She should have been that unwilling to look at other guys. Yeah. I don't think she was super into George. I really think it it had to do was bound up in her anxiety. Yeah. I just think that part of it wasn't particularly well written. I, I think... To me, it's tied up in this aspect that she and her friends are writing this book. Mm-hmm. So they know what to expect. They know what an honorable guy is. They demand to be treated with the respect and they want to go in with eyes opened. And simultaneously, this guy is treating her so badly yeah. that that wasn't really reconciled for me in the text. Sure. So she's been raised by two eccentric aunts. They are sisters, yes. not, not lovers. secret life partners. <laughs> In this one. <laughs> and of course, they are crazy, kooky. They steal recipes from every house they go to. Uh, they 
have incredibly similar there were so many characters in this series but in this book in particular who have life circumstances just ridiculously similar yeah to that with the main characters are going through so one of right. ryan's is like yeah i was in love with a guy and i let him get away because i was scared and then i had to watch him be with someone else and it ruined my life right <laughs> yeah okay but they but they also really want the best for ellie yes and it's so funny because she talks about how like her dilemma between the two guys essentially which isn't much of a dilemma mm -hmm. but the and she's like okay so i need to treat you know george childhood love with the indifference i treat brendan and one of the answers is like indifference and the other is like shut up if she yeah. thinks she's treating him with indifference let her go because <laughs> if she knows they're it. hanging all over each other she'll try to change her behavior and that's not what we want yeah i mean her aunts they know they've been oh. trying to get her to to consider someone other than george it seems like for years and it sounds like they do have affection for george yeah. as like the boy next door who they watched grow up because george ellie were both sad tragic orphans as children and uh we have a marquis in the form of brendan who was never meant to inherit mm -hmm. he was a second son's child and then his whole family except his baby sister who he's significantly older than who he does everything to protect were the only survivors of this like tragic family murder but it sounds like he was a little older like he had a happy upbringing yeah and then Everyone, including his uncle, his parents, died of flu, fever, whatever. Brandon is a, a walking stereotype. Yes. But so everyone involved in this love triangle is a sad, tragic orphan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Everyone. Everyone. The aunts love her and they have affection for George as this neighbor, especially because his upbringing was also so tragic that I think it's hard not to feel for the orphaned seven-year-old next door. Right. Exactly. But they don't think that he's the right one for her. Not by the middle of the book. Mm -hmm. I think they're willing to hold out hope that he's going to figure it out in the beginning. Um, question. Yes. She says in the beginning of the book that the fact that she's 25 is some sort of secret. Yeah. That she's like presenting as being 23. 23. And I don't. Under, like, and that's never elaborated on. Like, why they're lying about how old she is, how that lie came to be, and it's completely dropped other than her internal monologue about being 25 for the rest Basically, of the Basically, yeah. So what was that? I think it was just her being anxious. But what? why are they lying about it? I don't know. Because, because she was... Because, because when she debuted, she was slightly older. Right, but she was a baron's daughter. Right. Like, you'd have to imagine people know when she was born. You would born. think. I mean, I'm sure it's verifiable. Like, if they could just look it up. But... And what is the point of that lie? I thought it was kind of ridiculous myself. The fact that she's like, I'm 25, I have gray hairs. And I was like, oh my god. I kept waiting for it to be a plot point in some form. No. Like... Was she secretly born before her parents were married or something? And like that's why they were fudging her age. Like, I, I kept expecting it to matter again. And then it never did and was never brought up. And I was like, something feels off here. Nope. Okay, thanks. Any other tropes you want to talk about? Uh, the garden waltz. Oh, well. Let's talk about it. So um, he asks her for a, a scandalous waltz. Yes. But her family doesn't think it's scandalous. It's fine. And she tells him George claimed it. 
But apparently George forgot he claimed it, so she ends up on the balcony outside alone. Right. So he follows her into the garden and waltzes with her on the balcony. Yes. This is in so many books. Yeah. This is like the waltz in the garden fondle at the same time. It's a good one. It's simultaneous. And it's always after they've turned the guy down. Yep. Usually. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or they're found crying and men can't stand to see women cry. Or they, they didn't turn this guy down, but they were going to dance with someone else and they forgot or left or intentionally yep. snubbed her. So they've got to make up for it for the grand gesture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the last trope is that his family is cursed to marry for love. Yes. Which we've seen before. We have. I, I like this trope. I do too. I, I, there's a couple of different ways you can go with it. One is the, I saw how much my parents loved each other. And I then they died or one outlived the other. And yes. it was so tragic and painful that I never want to experience a love like that. Mm-hmm. Or in his case, you have the, I thought I was in love once. I was wrong. I now doubt my judgment too much. There's that. And all the women in my vicinity are insincerely throwing themselves at me just because I'm a rich, titled dude. Yeah. But then there's also there's also the, I thought I was in love before, but I really wasn't, and they had a horrible marriage. Yes. Uh, that's my favorite. <laughs> but then the family's not really cursed to marry for love, usually. We, we'll, find, we'll find a good one. Okay. But I think, I think that kind of covers the major ones to me. Yeah, I agree. This book, this book is very fun. Yes. Which you would think means that we really like it. And I really liked a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I really liked the setup of them, their meet cute and their denial and him following her around on dates yes. and in his own mo- internal monologue rationalizing it that he's trying to keep her from making the same mistake he did getting right. too committed to like a shallow horrible person mm-hmm. while actually he's very interested in seducing her right and i liked like you said she was a really interesting character with some complex like ways of viewing the world i like the supporting cast he has a little sister who befriends her yeah and I thought there was just a lot of fun interactions between them. I thought the way her embroidery was worked into the text was really great. I loved the setup of them going to his I manor loved, house. Yeah, I loved when she went to his place. Yes. And I loved how he... What I really appreciated, too, is that he took her anxieties, like, really seriously. And yes. it wasn't, like, an overnight... Uh, you're you're in love, so your your problems are solved. It was a uh, all right. We're gonna take this step by step. Let's yep. just try this. If you're not comfortable with this, we'll take two steps back. You know. Well, and I think one of the moments that really underscored for me, like what I liked about their dynamic, is he's in the moment he realizes he wants to try to convince her to marry him and not the guy she's been betrothed to, and that he actually intends to not compete for her love, but like throw his hat in the ring right. and not assume she's a foregone conclusion to right. another person. He thinks, okay, I've got two advantages. She trusts me mm-hmm. and she's attracted to me. Mm-hmm. And I, but honestly, like I thought that was great. Like the basis of their relationship. Also, we talk all the time in romance novels about how the whole book takes place in the space of like a week. Mm-hmm. And this is more spread out. This is more spread out. Mm-hmm. Which I really liked that they took the time to get to know each other. And it's not like, 
those big gaps of time in the text, you thought they weren't hanging out. You know, they were. Right. And so I thought that really worked for me, like this foundation of them really knowing and liking each other, plus being real hot for each other, really worked for me. And mm -hmm. I love that he recognized that in the text. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. I mm -hmm. liked the book a lot. The, that said, Vivian Lord does fall down in a couple of places. Yeah, and I'm beginning to realize, having read the previous books in the series, that it's sort of a consistent falling down. So in this book, like the two previous ones in the series, there's a good conflict mm -hmm. set up from the beginning. In right. this case, she believes herself to be promised to someone else. Right. Um, in the book before this, she is an aristocrat's daughter and he is an orphaned nobody. Mm-hmm. In the book previous to that, you know, her and her friends um, incapacitated him, kidnapped him, and then dropped him on the side of the road. And in the course of all of that, his money went missing. So they're in conflict from the beginning of the book. But like, these are real things that make you understand why people might not jump into bed together right from the beginning. Right. But then what happens in this book and in the previous two is like, 85% of the way through the book, when the characters have put everything on the table and agreed to get married and been openly communicating and honestly communicating the whole time, right? a random wrench gets thrown in the plan and suddenly a conflict pops up from out of nowhere. In the case of this book, it's two. Right. One, there's a near-death experience, but instead of it turning into a hurt comfort, it leads to her running away. And then he sees an interaction between her and the other guy, misunderstands it, and flees. And then the end of the book is, like, them forgiving each other, not them, like, working together and talking through the conflict talking and coming it. back to mm -hmm. an understanding. It's just like, you're right, I can't live without you. It's like, okay, so what was the point of the first 85% where you gave me this great buildup if you were going to make both of these characters suck in the last three <laughs> chapters? <laughs> you're going to make them suck. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I don't know if it's personal preference on our parts because we really do prefer couples who try to work together. Mm -hmm. um, external conflict, not internal conflict. Exactly. Once you get to the point where you've decided to get married and commit to this person. And had sex. I'm so tired of the, I have had sex with you, virgin debutante on the understanding we will be married and then the conflict popping up. So you have to have the, if you're pregnant conversation. Yeah. So I wish by the time they've actually decided that they're going to get married, I really wish that the conflict was something that they would solve together yeah. instead of they solve a part and then they come together and are like, Oh, we're all happy now. Yes. So there's also a little pet peeve of mine, which is when there's a love triangle, I always like it better when the alternative is a good person. Yes. So it's actually a choice. And in this case, he is not. I personally did not hate that part. I didn't mind it at all. I kind of enjoyed it because it's telegraphed the whole time. I knew it was coming. Oh, I knew it was coming. And I just enjoyed it. Yeah. So. It, I, I think I was just annoyed by the last minute conflict of what he witnessed. And it was mm -hmm. just like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So, it, like, I don't want to put it down because I overall really enjoyed the experience of reading this book. 
I just, at this point, I feel like I'm going to pick up her next book, which I'm very excited to read. I and know. It's like the last page of the epilogue in this one. You're like, yes, I want to read it so and bad. And then I'm like, what is going to be the like What's 90%? Whoops, we actually don't communicate at all. <laughs> I know. Uh, so besides the conflict, was there anything offensive about this book? I struggle with the depiction of all society debutantes and mamas as scheming, underhanded, tenacious as a population without any lip service paid to the fact that like, they have no other options. Right. That the only option for security is a good marriage. And it's not often, as in romance novels it's constant, but in real society that you're supposed to believe most of these people operated in, it wasn't often that a young, attractive, financially solvent peer was available. So while I sympathize with like the fact he felt like a piece of meat, I also hated the disdain. Like there was a little bit of Elodie was not like the other girls TM. Oh, totally. In this and I I just wish that hadn't been there. Well, and it's so frustrating too. I'm supposed to feel bad for some guy because he has the pick of all these women. Yeah. Like, just get to know them, and maybe you'll actually meet someone you're compatible with. And I get, he, this didn't go as far as being like, he had to be constantly on guard, so he wouldn't yeah, get yeah. quartered in a library by someone trying to get compromised or whatever. But I, I just really dislike that narrative without at least some lip service paid to these women have no other options. Right. And you're just treating the entire population of women with disdain, and that makes me not like you. And Ellie, too... I mean, she, not only does she buy into it, yep. because she's been convinced that she's with George, but now she's starting to get worried because she feels old. And then also, I guess I'm a little frustrated with 25 year olds being old as compared to 23. Cause like 23 and 25 are the, the same age at this point in yeah. my life. I'm like, you're the same age. And it would have been, there would have been absolutely nothing to tweaking it. So instead of her fear being, she was getting old, that she'd been waiting for this guy to propose for seven years. Right. Exactly. You know what? Like, okay, how long am I supposed to wait? Not because of my age, but because at what point is he not sincere? Right. Like, that would have been the same conflict mentally in the sense that, like, her insecurity about waiting too long right. without the weird ageism. Yes. Agreed. But so, did anything really offend me? No. Same. <laughs> uh, so sexiness. I think these are pretty sexy. I agree. And they're fun sexy. I agree. I agree. They're fun. They're very sexy. The, the, the first sex scene in this book is like very sexy. Yes. <laughs> I will just say this follows the nipple test. Yeah. If you look at the covers, you see one to two, one to one and a half, actually, because they're like in three quarters, yeah. male nipples. Meg and I are both male. like shifting our torsos kind of oddly <laughs> at one another. This is where I can use the word male nipple. Yes. <laughs> well, to use a phrase. Female nippers on, nipples on a cover, you got a different type It'd of thing. It would be really intense. You almost, on this one though, you like, her dress is very low cut. All I will say. I haven't seen it because I read it on Kindle. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with that. But, yeah. you I mean, wear what you want, but... <laughs> Luckily, it's an artist's rendering and not a photograph, right. because it might not be anatomically correct. Right, right. Well, yes. <laughs> no, but he is... 
I bought their te- sexual tension big time. I bought their loss of control with one another. There's this scene where they're riding in a carriage and their families are with them. So uh-huh. like nothing can happen. So this is not like a interruptus, why didn't you? Right. But they're just sitting next to each other and they're both in agony. And it was so well depicted. And you totally understand why the second they get free of the carriage, they are hooking up. Yeah. Well, and you know, like there's the, it, it just feels real too. Yeah. You know, like those moments where you're with a guy and you're like, just your legs touch because you happen to be sitting next to each other on the bus or whatever. And you're like, oh, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Especially when, you know, you're a youthful 25. Well, yes. I'm you, excuse me, 23. Because when you're 25, you're too old for that feeling any longer. Maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> I really enjoyed everything about them in physical proximity. Absolutely. Also, this passes Meg's test of luck of him going down on her <laughs> and no sad blowjobs. Yeah, no sad blowjob. Thank you. Which is really, you know, what we demand. That, look, we apparently, our demands are no sad blowjobs, no un, unreciprocated blowjobs for sure, but also um, no foot stuff. Correct. And you have to be clean. So bathing is important. Yes. I, it worked. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It worked. I, I just, I really enjoyed them and their dynamic and him softening up without changing character. I mean, you see a lot of times the guy who's mean in the beginning yes. suddenly becomes a total cinnamon roll. Yes. And like, oh, whoops, you never see him have that behavior again. He's still a duke. He's st- not duke, Marquis. He's still arrogant. He's still pushy and yes. overbearing. Like the traits that she hated in the beginning don't like soften out of him. No. She just gets to a more expanded view. Exactly. And yeah, I, I agree. I really liked it. And the same, I think they were both believably complex characters yep so and they worked well together it was just there were just some slight plot issues that we didn't love well i think and i was saying this to meg before we started recording this falls into that sweet spot or anti-sweet spot however you want to phrase it of so good at so many things and so much potential and so enjoyable for so much of it that the few things that were wrong really stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, I have probably said fewer harsh things about books I liked less. Mm-hmm. Because, like, had the last 10% of this book been different, it might be one of my favorites. Yeah. Are we going to read the next one in the series? Absolutely. Are we going to go back and read the last two in the series? I mean, look forward to two episodes on the mating habits of scoundrels because they're coming up. Yeah. I don't ask us when though, because time is not working for us right now. <laughs> but thank you guys so much for listening. We would love it if you would check us out around the internet on Goodreads slash Plotrists, Instagram at Plotrists, and of course, rate, review, subscribe, and tell everyone how amazing the podcast is.